gathered together this morning, amen, have our Bibles in our hands uh, together. So thankful, so grateful. I was telling Brother Howard that, uh, you know, this uh, this growing old thing is just not that fun, amen. I mean, uh, I, uh, last night my wife was trying to get me to go into the, what was it, the clinic, go into some clinic somewhere. Uh, my allergies, uh, massive allergic reaction. So if my face is red and it looks puffy, I'm okay. It's not my blood pressure. It's nothing like that. It's just simply my allergies, amen. And so, uh, and that's just something I guess that happens to us as we, as we age t- together. Well, brethren, as we are gathered together this morning, I'm afraid that Satan himself has craftily and cunningly hoisted a most ruinous theatrical mindset upon many, many churches. Now, uh, you say, what is a theatrical mindset? Well, this has to do, brethren, with the idea that the pastor gets up and preaches and puts on a show, amen, to the, shall we say, the idle spectators. That is a most dangerous thing that we have over here in the West, especially in the Western churches. We have become so much like that. Now, this idea of having a mindset, a theatrical mindset, there's a theatrical mindset that we're going to look at. Then there's also a godly mindset, a biblical mindset. And uh, really, that's just your worldview. Your mindset that you have, amen, is really a set of beliefs that shape how, how one makes sense of the world and of yourself. This is really what we have before us this morning. It controls and influences how you think. It incro- and yes, brethren, even though we are not much of a touchy-feely kind of church here, but it also controls how you feel. It controls how you think. It controls how you feel. And of course, brothers and sisters, it, it, it controls how you behave in any given situation. So this morning, as we are gathering together around God's Word, one of the most glorious things that the Word of God does is that it gives us a godly mindset. And that is that it changes the way we think. It changes the way we should see each other. It changes the way we see God himself, this godly mindset. And it certainly should influence us in that. Now, let me just say this, that within the church, as we all know, brothers and sisters, there are times when we come to the fellowship, we come to the gathering, and we do indeed just need to sit We just need to rest. We need to just be fed by the word of God. And I'll be honest, last week that happened for me with Brother Andrew when he was preaching. Amen. Wasn't that just a most godly mindset kind of sermon? It was just one of those things that just fed me. And boy, I needed that. And sometimes we just need to sit under the teaching of the word of God. Amen. And just to be fed. And there certainly, brethren, are times when that happens. His sermon was so pastoral, if I could use that terminology. It really, really was so refreshing, and I pray that to those who heard it, if you haven't, I would highly recommend going and looking that up. His sermon was riddled, really, brethren, with a godly mindset, a set of beliefs. Again, if I could say that, a set of beliefs, brethren, that controls and influences how uh, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the teachings of sacred scripture. Again, this godly mindset must indeed rule how we think, how we feel, and how we consider one another. It's very, very important. And this morning, Paul, the Apostle Paul in our text, certainly draws our religious affections to the Holy Ghost's instructive words 
that Brother Howard has read and know, brother, and we're not going to do all 10 verses. That would be your 11 verses. That's impossible. But uh, we are going to take a look at a few of them this morning. This instructive word through the Apostle Paul's inspired pen. He's led here, brethren, as we have been going verse by verse through the book of Thessalonians. He's led to bring his first letter to them to a close, instructing them on how to practice and how to exercise a godly mindset. Again, brethren, if you notice the scripture, it's designed to keep us within the rails of what God believes, thinks, and teaches. Again, that's why when you shut your Bible, we many times, as Spurgeon said, amen, those who don't wander very far from the word of God don't wander very far. But those who wander a long way, wander a long way. And this is literally why we're so thankful we have God's word that does not change like my emotions and everything else has a tendency to do. Now, the Holy Ghost leads Paul here in such an orderly fashion. And brother, I want you to take note that verses 12 and 13, he gives us an orderly dissertation on having a godly mindset towards those who are leaders, the under-shepherds, those who are called by God to lead the churches of God, the local churches. And so he's going to lay out for us, and this is really what we're going to look at this morning. How should my godly mindset, how should I view the leaders of the local church that God has put in, that God has brought and ordained to be there, and then the, the local church that I'm a part of? And again, last week, if you get a chance and you haven't heard that, please go look and hear and listen. Our brother Andrew just laid out the beautiful understanding and godly mindset of a local church and how important that is to be a member, to be a, not a, if you will, a theatrical member, but a participating member in a local church. And this, again, is what Paul is going to lay out for us here this morning. So in verses 12 and 13, he's going to give us a godly mindset on the leaders within the church. In verses 14 and 15, he gives us an orderly dissertation, having a godly mindset towards one another and towards all men. And again, this is something that we all fight, as I'm going to say later on, amen. Many of the dissensions, many of the problems, many of the troubles that come within a local church, brothers, the root of them come from ourselves. It comes from us. That's why he spends a majority of the text, which Lord willing, we will see next week giving us an orderly dissertation on having a godly mindset towards ourselves, how we personally are to think, feel, and behave. Because again, many of the problems, many of the issues that we have within the church are caused by me and by you. And brethren, this is something we really need some instruction on. This is why the Apostle Paul laid this out here to the brethren there. It's an amazing thing. In fact, Look at verse number 11 of our text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look what Paul does immediately in our text. Look at verse number 11 there. Keeping in mind, not the theatrical gathering, brethren, but that which is a godly gathering, one in which he calls the Christian to action. Amen? And this is what we see. Look at verse number 11. He says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even also as ye do. So Paul understands, he knows that the brothers there are indeed comforting one another, they're edifying one another, and he says, keep doing it. And again, brethren, this is so important, this action that continues on. He completely here obliterates and removes the habitual theatrical mindset, again, that the pastor is on the stage entertaining and amusing the idle spectators. 
you notice there the language that he uses, and we notice immediately that Paul does not tell us to take comfort, but rather to give comfort. And again, this is the idea here. It is a give and take. We always say that within our church. When someone joins our local church, when God leads them to do that, and they come forward and they give a testimony if they, if they are so pleased, they meet with the elders and we, we put this thing all together. One of the things we always say, don't we, brethren, is that when you are a member of a local church, it is a two-way street. It is one where the elders, where we're going to see the leaders of the church have a responsibility to you, and also, brethren, that you then, when you say and make a covenant agreement with us, then you say, oh, yes, yes, then I have a responsibility to you and to the church. And this is really what we're going to see here, this balance, this biblical balance, and how then a preacher, a elder, is to behave himself. So immediately Paul says, you're not to take comfort if you're in that position. You are to give comfort and to edify one another. Again, that's an action that we do one towards another. That word edify means to actively build one another up, as in building a construction or an edifice. It is, in, and how do we do that? In the truths of what God has declared. Because you remember, he uses that word wherefore. He just got done preaching last, well, the last two weeks ago when we were together. He was telling them about the coming of the Lord. He was telling them about how it was all going to unfold. Amen. And he says, wherefore, with these words, comfort one another, edify one another. And this is what he's having us to do. Again, this is what's so practical about it all. Now, again, the teaching here is that of a church full of active participants, not passive spectators. I think I've said that a couple times because it's so ingrained in us, brethren. It's so ingrained that the pastor, that the elder, that, that, that the deacons in the church, they're the ones that are supposed to be doing all the work. And we do do work. Believe you me, the, the language that's used here that we're going to discover is literally that when you honor one who does it for the Lord's sake, they literally were working themselves into exhaustion. And we do that. But again, brethren, here it's, going to encapsulate every last one of us. In fact, I want you to see the glorious blessing. And again, brethren, again, the scriptures many times take how we think and reverses it. That which we think is how it should work, the scripture says, no, that's not how it works. Actually, it works this way because there's a divine moving of God. When one does and, and, and edifies and comforts and does these things, Look at Proverbs chapter 11. Look with me there for just a moment. I want you to see this most amazing thing, how the Bible teaches when we forget about ourselves. <laughs> Believe you me, brother, that is one thing that I struggle with all the time. Maybe, uh, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm different than you are. But I have a tendency, brethren, to be rather, well, selfish, self-centered, worried about my feelings, how I am, how I'm doing. Versus how the Bible says what I should do. Now listen here, what the, the wisest man, whoever wrote on the pages of part, well, they were all inspired by God, but you look here at Proverbs chapter 11. I want you to see this. Look at how amazing this is. Look at verse number 25. Look at the action and listen to how God describes when we water then we are simultaneously watered. I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing. Listen to this, verse 25. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that what watereth shall be watered also himself. 
So again, we see this idea of us as we come together, and, and Brother James is not here this morning, but I remember just a couple weeks ago, he, he, he watered me. He came up to me in this very principle. He came up to me and told me something. He, well, I, I, can't, I don't know if I can disclose what we were talking about, but, so I'm not going to, but it was an amazing working of God that he worked in his life, and it was such an encouragement. It edified me right when I needed it. And this is what we do. Those who water will indeed be what? Watered. It's an amazing spiritual Holy Ghost-led thing that God does. When we give of ourselves, he fills us up. It's, it's the opposite of what we think. We think I'm going to stand and guard myself, and I'm going to keep myself. I'm going to put this, sometimes we have to, but I'm going to put this hedge around me, and I'm going to keep it all to myself. Listen to what one pastor said concerning this. He said, I may care about myself till I grow morbid. I may watch over my own feelings till I feel nothing. I may lament over my own weaknesses until I grow almost too weak to lament. Do you see how centered that is? How self-centered it can be? Listen as he continues. It will be far more profitable for me to become unselfish and to love and out of the love of the Lord Jesus begin to care for the souls of those who are around me. Again, there's that watering thing that when you come to the fellowship, are you looking? Are you trying to see how is my brother or sister look today? What do they need today? Can I water them? Can I care for them? Can I help them? Look what it says. He continues, "My tank is getting very low. No fresh rain comes to fill it. What shall I do?" I know what I'll do. I'll pull up the plug and let its contents run out to water the withering plants around me. And what do I see? My cistern seems to fill as it flows. A secret spring is at work. While all was stagnant, the fresh spring was sealed. But as my stock flows out to water others, the Lord thinketh upon me. Hallelujah. Now, brethren, this is the opposite of how we think. Again, this is why we have to have a godly mindset, a godly worldview concerning this thing, because by our natures, by our default, that's what I like to say, in our default mode, we are very, very selfish and centered towards ourselves. It is a most stunning thing. In fact, one of the most famous questions in all of Scripture is answered. And I want you to see this, a familiar one that all of us know about turn to Genesis chapter 4. Look here, from the very beginning, brethren. Yes. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. Unless you're of, well, the child of the devil, Cain. Look at here, look at Genesis chapter 4. Look at verse number 8. Again, the first time here, we see sin used in the Bible. The word sin is used here for the very first time. And Cain, of course, as we know, is what? He's the very first son who's born after the fallen image of Adam and Eve. And what is he? He's a murderer. That's, a, that's what he is. He, this is just, you see the effect of the fall. And then you see his unholy, ungodly response about where his brother is. Look here, if you would. Verse number 7. God says, Moses writes under the inspiration of God, and says this, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And that's, again, the first time the word sin is used in Scripture. And it is the idea here of a, a lion, if you will, someone that's crouched and ready to pounce upon him. 
And he says, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel, thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Yes, we are. As Christians, we are indeed our brother's keepers. No question about that. In reality, again, brethren, but again, can I just say this? We live such, uh, how should we say, uh, such lives where we don't want people in our lives. We're so private. It's a funny thing, isn't it, how we become so private. We don't want to admit to anybody that there's a problem. We don't want to admit to anybody that I'm having trouble in my marriage. We don't want to admit to anybody that I myself am having trouble with is and issues. But rather, brethren, we must change our thinking. We must change our godly mindset on this and understand that God specifically brought the church together to indeed be your keeper. And this is something we have to understand and grasp and get a hold of. Again, we live in such a society where there's commitment to nothing and to nobody. And yet the church must be different. We must indeed ask the Spirit of God to help us. Because again, in our default, right? In our default mode, that's not what I want to do. But that's what I must do. It is a working of the Spirit to help me to be my brother's keeper. In fact, Paul wrote about this in Romans. Look at Romans chapter 14. Look there, just a couple of verses together this morning. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you certainly are. And uh, your brother's accountable to you, and you're accountable to him, and your sister's accountable to you, and you're accountable to her. But in today's America, th this is so foreign to the early church. Th this, this idea that we have that's permeated the churches is a foreign concept totally and completely. Now, again, there's a balance, right? I mean, in my old IFB days, that's independent fundamentalist Baptist days, uh, you know, Bob Jones, that's where I went to Bible college, you know, and all this kind of stuff. You had people, if you weren't in church, they were knocking on your door, you know, checking what you're doing, that kind of a thing. We have to have a balance. We have to be concerned, but yet we, I can't go over to Gene or in Vicky's place and, you know, bang on the door and say, hey, where are you? That happened to me. <laughs> in fact, Brother Deedee's out here, so I could tell us. He, he said that one Sunday night, I was, our family was gone with another family. They were singing, so we went with them. Amen. It, it, you know who it was. Old Pastor Baker leans over to Dean and goes, where are the fixes at tonight? Well, there was so-and-so. They're helping him sing, and he goes, I think they should be here. And the next thing you know, my phone's ringing. I'm driving down the road on Highway 83, heading up to, uh, well, it was, I think it was your, your, your sister's church. They were singing in. We're heading up there. My phone, oh, Pastor, what? Hello? Where are you? Right? we got to be balanced and careful in that, brother. And again, there are sometimes good reasons why we're not here, why we're not participating, why we're not doing these things. But for the most part, there isn't, for the most part. Generally, this is what you see. And so, again, this is why we're going to look at this. Look at Romans chapter 14. Look again. This was a great theme of Paul's, a great theme that the, God, the Holy Ghost inspired him to relay to us because, again, he knows our natures. He knows our, our, our sinful natures, our default, if you will. Look at verse 17. Romans chapter 14, look at verse number 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. 
Let us therefore follow after these, these things. Now that word again, follow after, is a hot pursuit. And literally that's what it means. And we're going to see that definition in our text. It is a hot pursuit. Well, man, <clears throat> can I just take us back for just a moment? Well, those of us who are married, those of us who have had girlfriends, you know, those who have girlfriends, uh, whatever it might be, let's be honest. When the Lord brought that right woman into our life, men, there was a hot pursuit. Let me tell you, this is the idea. This is what Paul is saying. There must be a hot pursuit for these things, for edifying and for comforting one another. This is not to be taken lightly. And we have, in, in our nation, taken these things lightly. And brethren, look what he says. He says to follow after, to have a hot pursuit. He says, for, in these, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may, what? Edify one another. There it is. The idea here, brethren, is to build one another up, to watch over one another, to care for one. Again, I know you get sick of Pastor Mike saying it all the time, and, and, but, but it's one of those things that, that gets repeated over and over again and something that we all must Pray the Lord to help us with. Look at one more, 2 Corinthians. Again, a very familiar portion of Scripture to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look there, if you would, at verses 2 through 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The Bible says there, verse number 2, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of what? All comfort. Why would God comfort us? Look at here. Who comfort, comfort us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted in God. And again, brethren, the idea here is that next week, I may need to be comforted. This week, you may not need to be. You might be the one comforting me. You might be the one edifying me. And next week, I might be the one doing it to you. Again, this is the idea. The hot pursuit of the believer watching over and caring for the other believer in the church. Again, a very important thing as we discuss that. Now, as I said, our God-ordained responsibility. This is scriptural. This isn't something Pastor Mike's dreaming up, Mike's making up. It is a theme that is thread from one end of scripture to the other, from Genesis chapter 4 all the way to the book of Revelation, this caring and watching over for. It, we cannot, again, take this lightly. We should, as I said, pursue this. The holy objective is to hotly pursue the continual edification of my brothers and sisters in the Lord. This is something, again, that we've got, to, we've got to get our minds right on. Because, again, there are times when you come to a fellowship. I don't know where you're at. You, I, don't, I haven't been with you all week. Maybe today is the day you need to sit, again, like I said, and be fed. But next week, you might be the one who did what James did to me. Edifying, comforting, giving God glory and grace and praise for who he is. Man, this, this is something that is so needful. And it's not like some kind of limp-wristed evangelical thing where it's all love, love, love. No, it's, it's, it's a combination. It's a balance of it. Because we're going to see here that a good leader balances that out. And this is what we're going to see. Look there, if you would, 
back at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse number 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse number 12. Paul now moves into addressing the leaders. How you as a church, you as as a congregation, should view the leader in the church. Remember, he's discussing the leadership. Then he discusses uh, how we should be towards one another. And then in the end, next week, Lord willing, he discusses ourselves. How we should be, how we should think, how we should act. So look there at verse number 12. He begins, again, this dissertation of a godly mindset concerning the leaders in the church. Look at verse number 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, there's, there's a lot in that verse, brethren. There's an absolute lot in that verse, a lot of it there. But because the church at Thessalonica, as we know, was full of baby converts. This is one of the first churches that, uh, that was founded. One of the very first churches. Paul admonishes the brethren to know and to recognize those who are leaders and to value their roles as leaders. In fact, he defines it here in three ways. He gives us really some descriptions here three ways. He says that you are to recognize those who labor among you. Leaders are recognized by their service. And again, brethren, we've all, again, there's such a responsibility that the leader has. The leaders, it's always a plural. You, them, you'll notice there's always them. It's never one pastor. God never designed it that way. It's always a plurality of leaders, a plurality of elders, plurality of deacons. There's that plurality there. And he says, one who is a leader will be recognized by what they do, by their service, not by their title. You ever been around somebody that's got a title and does nothing? I mean, you look at them and go, what good are you? No, the title of elder and deacon, the title of overseer and bishop, in the, it's biblical, amen? But you have to, it has to be more than just a title. It has to be the service. And this is what the leaders, Paul is telling them, they are recognized by their service, by what they are doing. In fact, as I said, The idea here is the idea of laboring to the point of exhaustion. This is what they were doing. The leaders were leading the church to the point of exhaustion. He says, secondly, and you know, you recognize a leader by those who are over you in the Lord. And that's so important. Again, you see the responsibility of the leaders and you see the responsibility of the church, of the congregation. Here, this is a responsibility of the leader. Leaders are recognized as being over the congregation, a sense of watching over them and providing them leadership under the authority of Christ. Do you understand that? We are under shepherds. Myself, Howard, Dean, we are simply under shepherds of Christ. You belong to Christ. You are indeed Christ. There's no doubt about that. But he did again give us this under-shepherding thing. And again, there's there's a notice when you consider that under the Lord. Again, the, the, the elder must recognize, the leader in the church has to recognize that you belong to Christ. You don't belong to me. I've been simply giving, given a responsibility to preach to you, to give you advice when you come to me for advice, to help you with your family if need be, to help you work through some things. And we're going to see that word admonish. That's exactly what that means crazy. The leaders are recognized as those who admonish the congregation. Listen, to caution or reprove gently. 
<laughs> I've had many people come in my office. Pastor, I need to talk to you. And then, like I've told Wendy, you, you listen to them and you just go, you're, you know, you're not supposed to show any expression. You're just supposed to sit there. But sometimes you hear things that are so outrageous, so unbelievable, that you you got to kind of turn this way and take a drink out of your water and look back. And then you say, you thought that was a good idea as a husband to do that? Oh, my goodness. And so you instruct. You gently warn them. This is the idea. This is what a pastor does. This is what an elder, a leader in the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to gently warn you, gently admonish you, gently give you advice concerning spiritual and familiar matters. Amen? It literally means to counsel against wrong practices, to be holy. We should be holy people. We are a people unto God. We should be practicing being holy people. And that's what we try and do as leaders in the church. We try and counsel that way. In fact, look at verse number 14. He uses the same language. Verse number 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Do you see that there again? This is the idea. Gently warning them. Gently speaking to them. We'll get into that verse next week, Lord willing, a little deeper. But the idea here again is to gently counsel, to admonish. In fact, look at 2 Thessalonians. He uses that terminology again, and the second letter will be in here, Lord willing, and not too long. Look at chapter 3. Look at verses 14 and 15. Look what the Bible says there. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man. In other words, take note of him. And have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And again, that's the idea. The idea is having someone come to the elders, to the leaders of the church, asking for counsel, asking for wisdom, and you give them truthful, biblical counseling. Don't pull out your psychology card. Pull out the Bible and say, this is what God says, and let us see if we can help you work through that. Because I, brethren, may need the same kind of thing. That's the beauty of it. When everybody is on the same level, when everybody has a godly mindset concerning these things, all the same. Yes, the elders, the pastors, the bishops, all of them are indeed to submit to this teaching. Although that's a problem. Because many times the leaders cause dissension, cause these kind of things because they will not submit to the same thing they are asking their congregation to do. One pastor said about admonish. Well, its tone is brotherly. It's big brotherly. <laughs> it's big brotherly. It's one of those things where the, the pastors have to, again, at, at all costs, just tell the truth and be as faithful to God's word to the person they are sitting in front of as they can possibly be. Now, look there at verse number 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse number 13. He, again, he's addressing, if you will, how the leaders, the elder is to look towards the congregation. Now he gives you and me when I'm sitting in the church like I was last week, when he gives the congregation godly, a godly mindset, a godly counsel concerning how do you look at the leaders? And again, brethren, this is such an amazing thing that has to be in sync together because if it's not, you know what it causes? Dissension, division, anger, gossip, all those things that are unholy, that's what happens. 
So again, we have this balance where the, the elder is accountable to you. And I'm supposed to be, and Howard's supposed to be, and Dean is supposed to be a certain way towards you. And I'm to act a certain way. I'm to think a certain way. I'm to feel. There goes that word again. You know, IFB people don't have feelings. That's what we've been accused of. But we are to do that. And we're to do it from a godly mindset. Look what he says there in verse 13. The Bible says, And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. What an amazing depth we see in this particular text. Paul says here that Christians are to esteem their leaders. Amen? And, and to do it in highly in love. Now that word esteem, listen, this is important. Because <laughs> we, we, you know, we so often hear about self-esteem. Your self-esteem's too low. Yes, your self-esteem's way down here. We need to jack up your self-esteem. Well, brother, no. Actually, that's not true. Let me get your mind right on that. Let me give you a godly mindset on that. The reason people have issues that they do most of the time is because they think too highly of themselves. Their esteem is too high. Yes, too high. Here, we are to esteem the leaders in such a way. And again, coming out of the IFB background, there's a balance that one must have. I saw a pastor worship. I don't want any of that. None. None of it. No pastor worship, no hanging my picture. I'm not kidding you, this happened. They were hanging the pastor's picture on the fridge and all this kind of weird stuff. It was weird, it was pastor worship. No, that's not what Paul is saying. Again, there's a balance, isn't there? There's a biblical balance in here. That word esteem means to set a value on. Value or prized account uh, according to worth. Again, we and you should not esteem and puff, you know, the elders to puff them up or to have some kind, again, as I said, inordinate pastor worship. It's an amazing thing. But rather, Paul says, we should esteem them, have value in them because of their work's sake. What's the work's sake? What is an elder to do? Well, an elder, one of the qualifications is to be, he must be apt to teach. So in other words, when one is toiling in the word of God, when one is studying the word of God, so that we can come here, Lord willing, and, and, and convey to you what the word of God says in an orderly sense and understanding, that's what we are to be held in high esteem for. Not because my personality is such, not because of this or that, but because of the work that God has called the elders to do to place value on. In fact, look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. Look what we see here. Look at Paul again. He gives us some beautiful direction, some beautiful godly mindset understanding concerning how an elder should be viewed, a leader in the church, a deacon in the church. Mark's here. He's one of our deacons. Keith is here somewhere. He's one of our deacons. Uh, and so how should the congregation view the leaders? This particular text has to do with the elder, which the difference between a deacon and an elder is that the elder is what? Apt to teach. He's the one who God has called to preach and teach the word of God. But look what Paul writes here in verse number 17. 1 Timothy chapter 5, look at verse 17. The Bible says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of what? Double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, 
and the laborer is worth his reward. Now again, brethren, you read that, and again, he's quoting from the Old Testament. How would they, how would the Jewish mind have understood that when Paul is writing here to Timothy? Well, that word double means twofold. So in other words, if, 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 if the elder is handling the word of God rightly, if he's uh, dividing it rightly, if he's teaching it rightly to the people, he's worthy of honor. He's worthy of that. Now, that word honor literally means, now listen, brethren, it's not what you think. <laughs> not at all, not in this context. That word honor actually is a financial remuneration. It literally means money paid for a diligent care of the flock. So when one handles the word of God right, he is rightly then to be honored and that he should be paid for what he does. And again, as all of you know, uh, many of us have done this for a long time without ever receiving a penny. We don't preach to get paid. But when a congregation gets to a point where it can start paying the elder, the elders, then they should do that because he's worthy of that. Now, if I was here preaching the word of God because of money, oh man, well, you guys would throw me out, praise the Lord, first of all, because filthy lucre, that's this unholy, ungodly stuff. But, but again, it's not about that. But it is, the Bible says, as Paul says, an elder who handles the word of God well and rightly is worthy of double honor. He should be paid for his work. That's what it says. So the Bible clearly spells out, brethren, the responsibilities of both the leaders and the congregation. The trouble really begins. The trouble really begins, brethren. Let me say this because I was just thinking about this. It really begins when either of them errors in their godly mindsets. The trouble begins when we err in our godly mindset concerning the responsibilities that the elders, the leaders of the church, the deacons, and the congregation has. In fact, this is the cause, as I said, of great unrest. The opposite and the antithesis of what Paul says now in verse number 13. Look there if you would. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse number 13. Look what the Bible says there. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, listen, and be at peace among yourselves. Now, brethren, to be at peace among ourselves is not an easy thing to be. As all of us, I'm sure, are and have experienced it to a degree in church life. Disagreements, quarrels, and enmities in the local church root themselves, can I say it again, in ourselves. It roots itself in us. And we get all bent out of shape and all kind of kittywampus concerning the godly mindset that we should have towards one another. This is where this peace that Paul is talking about, be at peace with yourselves. Leaders, congregation, be at peace with yourselves. Now, as I said, some church leaders do indeed abuse their authority, thereby causing the people to repel their leadership. They're just, they're abusive. They are not going to submit to that. And it's no different than a husband and a wife. It's, it's amazing the similarities that we have here. When we are, have a godly mindset as a man towards our wife, we're going to treat her a certain way. We're going to love her a certain way. In fact, Paul wrote in Ephesians, didn't he? We don't have to turn there. But we should love our wives as Christ loved the church. We should do these things as our own body. See, be unselfish in doing that. 
And then what happens? Then it's amazing because then your wife, she in turn loves you and submits to you as biblically as we're supposed to. It's the same way here. When you have elders who rule with an iron fist, who are nose busy bodies in everybody's business, who rule that way, the congregation brethren is not going to submit to that. They will repel that leadership. And again, this is why there has to be a good biblical balance concerning these things. Not to be too overbearing, and yet not to be too far off to where we have our hands on nothing. Again, there's that, that glorious biblical, can I use the word liberals like? Harmony. There's a harmony between the two, and this is what Paul's talking about. Be at peace, brethren. When the leaders are as they are to be, the congregation is as they are to be, there's peace among ourselves. No question about it. We're to live, in fact, that word means to act peaceful, to live amongst one another peacefully. It is to submit ourselves to a godly mindset. Again, let me remind you, a godly mindset is a set of beliefs that are influenced by one's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the teachings of sacred scripture. That's where our godly mindset comes from. <laughs> but isn't it difficult sometimes to read? I mean, we can read the scriptures. We can know the scriptures. And we just simply are at a stage where the Holy Spirit hasn't really sunk it deep down in there to cause us to repent of whatever it might be, to act godly towards one another, to love one another, to do these things. In fact, let me just quickly here, we'll finish up. But I want you to see again the responsibilities, the godly mindset that the congregation should have towards the leaders and the loving care and the godly mindset that the leaders must have towards the congregation. This is what Paul's talking about. This is what he's addressing completely and totally in our text. Look at Hebrews with me, if you would, for just a moment. Let me give you just again a, the word of God, and may he deep down, sink it deep down in each one of our hearts and of our minds, that we might indeed practice these things. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. In fact, look how Paul, well, I think it was Paul, I believe it was Paul, some don't, but the author's not named. Look how he starts verse number one. Let brotherly love continue. <laughs> There's a continuing thing. In other words, this ongoing thing. It's just like the edifying. It's like the comforting. It's not sitting in the pews as, a, as some kind of a stagnant thing, but one who's pouring themselves out into one another. Let it continue. Let it continue. Look there, if you would, at verse 15. Hebrews chapter 13, look at verse 15. So again, he's saying all of these things. Let this stuff continue, brethren. In fact, in our text, you remember, Paul gave them, uh, if you would, kudos. He says, you're, you're doing these, even as you're doing. Continue to do them. Look there at verse number 15. And again, this is something that the church must consider. The congregation must consider. Look at verse number 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Notice how he's always the center of everything. But to do good and communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Look at verse 17. Obey them. Obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls. And they must give an account. Do you understand what that means? See, I'm not accountable to you. 
Howard's not accountable to, well, we are, but ultimately in the end, we are accountable to God for how we rule, how we oversee. And I don't mean rulership in any kind of an unholy way. It's just, it's the, it's the role that we play. It's the, it's the God-given role that God has given to us. We are accountable to you, yes, but there's always one who is the greater audience, as I always say. Amen? Paul himself said that we are to preach the word in season, out of season. He called God and Jesus Christ as his witness to be faithful preachers of the word. It's the same thing here. When one is called to be a leader, an elder, an overseer in the church, a leader in the church, we are accountable, yes, to you, but more importantly, to God. What does that do? It keeps you in your right place. If you understand that, you will be kept as a leader in your right place. You won't be haughty. You won't be full of pride and arrogant and evil, hard-hearted towards them who are in the congregation. You will not when you understand God is the one who we are ultimately accountable to. But look what it says there, brethren. Listen. Well, let me just sidetrack for a second. As I said earlier, just like marriage, when the wife... When the husband is being godly to the wife and teaching her and leading her in such a way as God has designed it to be, that whole submitting thing is, is such a beautiful, biblical, glorious thing. See, Americans have turned it into a bad word. It's not a bad word. It is a good word. It's a biblical word. It's a biblical action. When the husband is doing right. Having a godly mindset towards his wife, she will submit. See, same thing here. When the elders have a godly mindset towards you and are, and are overseeing you biblically and understanding we are under shepherds of the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what happens. Look what it says. Obey them that rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch over your souls as they must give an account that they may do it with what? Joy and not with grief. Now, my wife knows me. She's been around me my whole pastoral career. She knows the hurt and the pain and just the utter, sometimes, despair that a pastor goes through. Because one of two things has happened. Either I'm out of joint or they're out of joint. One of those two things has happened. And it causes great heartache. If your heart doesn't break, you shouldn't be a pastor anyway. When something happens. Look what it says as we finish. That they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that it is unprofitable for you. It's a stunning thing, brethren, when again, the church, the congregation, submits to the word of God. Submits to the rulers who are over them. Because the rulers are, are leading them and, and treating them in such a way that they would do that. Now look here at the elders' responsibility and then we'll finish. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Look there. We'll read this together and we'll be finished. Here again is the leader's responsibility. And again, I want you to notice who is the center of it all. It's not the leader. It's the leader's leader. <laughs> it's the elder's leader, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen carefully how Peter uses this language. And again, brethren, as deacons, Brother Mark, Brother Keith, as elders, Howard, myself, and Dean, we need to take this to heart. We need to believe this. We need to submit to this because of the glorious peace that it brings 
within the church. Verse five, or chapter 5, verse 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you. So in other words, that's part of what this, the elders to do. We're to feed you, we're to take care of you, we're to teach the word of God to you. Now listen, how are we to do that? Look what it says. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre's sake, but of a ready mind. Look at verse 3. Neither is being lords over God's heritage. In other words, no, we can't rule with an iron fist over everything that you do in your life. You cannot. You are God's heritage. You belong to him. I simply, Howard simply, Dean simply, Mark simply, Key simply, are simply those who have been called in the church to be leaders and to watch over you. You belong to God. Look at that. But being examples to the flock, we're to be examples. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive the crown of glory that fadeth not away. Look at verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you, what? Be subject one to another. Isn't that beautiful? Again, there's that two-way street. There it is. We are to be submitting one to another, just like the marriage the husband and the wife, the wife is to submit. But if you go back and look in Ephesians chapter 5, the godly order there, and we're to submit one to another. And again, when you're as a husband doing as we've been called to do, and believe you me, honey, how many years is it now? Well, we've known each other 36 years, I think, been married 35. Ooh, that's a long, <laughs> think of that. She knows me. Brethren, she knows me better than any of you do. She knows what I got to work on. <laughs> but brethren, you know what it is? It's an ongoing changing of my godly mindset. And it is of yours too. To love your wife, to care for her, she will submit. Brethren, it's the same thing in the church. When, the, when you know the elders love you, and we do, we are frail men. We are susceptible to error. Yes. But we do love you and care for you and always want what's best for you. That's one of the glorious callings of an elder, of a leader in a church, is not to be a busybody, not to rule with an iron fist, but rather to submit ourselves one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the mighty hand of God. This, brethren, is really, again, antithetical to our own natures. It's antithetical to what we would really think and believe. Again, that's why there's this theatrical mindset where one sits and the pastor amuses. <laughs> You're not, brethren, sisters, I'm not here this morning to amuse you, although sometimes I can be rather unamusing, but rather it is to lead you and teach you and ask the Spirit of God to sink this down into your heart so that you will indeed be an active participant in the church. Not one who sits and looks and watches and hears and does nothing. Oh, brother, may that not be. May it not be. Now let me close. I understand again as we close that there are times when we need, brethren, to sit and be ministered to. 
When we need to just listen to the word of God and be clothed in the word of God and listen to a godly pastor preach the word to us and be fed. Because we are weary and tired from the journey. Anybody here get weary and tired from the journey? Oh, yes. Unless it's just me. <laughs> but I'm old now. I can't, you know, I'm not like I'm in my 30s where I used to bounce back all the time. You young people, just enjoy it. Enjoy your youth. Otherwise, you wake up in the middle of the night with, you know, your eyes puffed shut. Looks like you got baked in the sun. Haven't even been in the sun for a while. Enjoy your youth. You can bounce back. That's why those of us who are a little older, we need you to be active participants in the church. Those whom God has called. Weary and tired from the journey. But we must not stay there, for the Lord has called us to hotly pursue the comfort and edification of our leaders and of our brothers and sisters. Brothers, let me just say this and says, if you see a brother in need or a sister in need, do what James tells us to do. What kind of love do you have for somebody when you see a great need and you do nothing? You are indeed, as the Bible says, worse than an infidel. As brothers and sisters, we need to be keenly watching one another. Again, the shepherds are to know the status of the flock, but you are to know the status of one another too. Yeah. And again, we're so private, we don't want to let our guard down, let anybody know I got problem. I'm perfect. Look at, look, at, look at the face chat, snapbook. Look at those things. Have you ever seen it? I'm so thankful I'm not on there. I mean, I'd probably go out and, you know, jump off a cliff. Everybody's life is perfect. Everything's great. There's never any problems. And yet, deep down inside, they're riddled with problem after trouble after trouble after trouble. It's amazing to watch it. Let us not be this way, brethren. Let us be, let us pursue one another. Let us do that. Let us watch over one another as we ought to. It is an amazing thing. Go to them. Just like I saw this week. Just like I saw this week. It wasn't me, but it was someone very close to me. I saw another sister do what we're talking about here. And it was a great and most needful encouragement to her. Down, weary, tired, just totally at the edge. And a good sister calls and, hey, I noticed. I noticed on Sunday that you weren't right. That's what we should be doing. I like, and I'll close with what one pastor, I wish I had said some of this, but I didn't. He said, I'm discovering that simple obedience is a powerful thing in one's life. More powerful than any program or anything that you can come up with. <laughs> Right? The church is not a church of programs. In a day where we as Christians are already educated beyond obedience, I find that what we need is not more education, but simple obedience to what we already know. We already know this. God's word has taught us this. We've heard it. Now, brethren, let us pray together and ask God to the Spirit of God to sink in deep down inside that we might indeed act upon it. Let's pray. Father, we 
are so grateful again for the Word of God. My emotions change. Yeah, and my feelings change at times. My thought changes at times. And then, as I am directed back to the Word of God, it fixes me. It makes me right. It changes my, a thought that I had that seemed right to me, but it was completely wrong. In fact, in Proverbs, don't we? We see it twice. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but in the end does lead us to death. So, Father, we thank you for Scripture, for it keeping us right, especially in the world that we are living in today, where everything holy has been deemed unholy. Everything unholy has been deemed as holy. Oh, man, Isaiah is coming to our minds, isn't it, brothers and sisters? Yes. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That called light dark and dark light and salt fresh and fresh salt. Oh, woe unto them. Father, may we as your peculiar people, those whom you have saved, those whom you have called out, the ecclesia, the called out of God, and gathered us together here this morning to hear your word and to sing praises unto the one true God, the God of holy scripture alone. And Father, we, we thank you for your son the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the Bible says you gave up for us all, your priesthood, your glorious priesthood of giving up the Lord Jesus Christ as he came and lived this perfect sinless life, as he went to the cross. The Bible says that he set his face as a flint to Jerusalem. He knew exactly as he is the eternal son of God, always been, knew his glorious role to die for the sins of his people. And more than that, Father, to die and to live a, a perfect sinless life every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year. Never one sinful thought, never one sinful action, never perfect and sinless that he might be offered up for those of us who are sinners. He took our place the great substitution. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of Christ in God. Father, we thank you for that this morning. We pray for them who are lost, those who are outside of Christ even now at this very moment. We pray that, Father, today might be the day that they hear their shepherd's voice the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, the Bible says that they will indeed, when they hear, they will indeed follow him. Oh, Father, we pray. And for those of us who are saved and we're grateful and so humbled by that and so grateful for your work, the work that you did in us, you've started and without question, infallibly, will finish. Father, we thank you for that and we praise your name. And now, Lord, as we gather around your table this morning, may we again be reminded, may we again examine ourselves again of your perfect work, your death, your burial, your resurrection, until you come again. We pray these things in Christ's mighty name and all God's people said, amen, amen.